Hello, and welcome to Network to Code on Network Collective, where our focus is on all things network automation. Today, I'm joined by Stuart Clark, technical leader and developer advocate at Cisco within the DevNet team. Stuart, glad to have you, and welcome to the show. Hey, Jason, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So today I'm looking forward to it. You know, your, your journey specifically interests me because you started out in a very non-technical career. So maybe we just start there. I heard rumors that you were that you were a barber, if that's right. Maybe just you know start with the very beginning and, and we'll go from there. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, that's true. I, I did start my career when I left school at 16 as a barber. Um, I actually started work at 14 and then part-time. Um, my father installed a very, very strong work ethic into me when I was a, a, a youngster. I did a part-time job from the age of 14 to 16 um, in a warehouse, um, just moving sacks of them, like sugar around and flour around and things like that after school for a couple of hours, which was you know, great as a 14-year-old to have that extra bit of pocket money uh, to spend on things like, you know, skateboard and BMX parts, you know, back in the 80s. And, um, yeah, I started out um, as a hairdresser uh, when I was 16. I did my apprenticeship, which was three years back then. And it was a great career. Um, it took me all, all around the world. Um, I went to New Zealand, uh, America, worked in uh, Beverly Hills, um, different parts of, of the of the UK um, with the uh, different salons that I was with at the time and then worked in London for a period, worked in London at one of the, one of the premier places in, in, in the world in, in Mayfair, which was, which was really good. Um, and then came back into the sort of East Midlands and then did sort of like the last three, four years of my career um, in the East Midlands in Nottingham. So did those skills come in handy in the past few months during during the pandemic? Actually, yeah, it's quite funny. Uh, we've got my wife and I. We've got a little boy who's eleven, um, and his hair was it was get was just getting a bit too long. So I uh, had to dust off the scissors, and I I, I, mean, I haven't used them for like now fourteen something years. Um, right. So yeah, that that was that was uh, that was quite quite an experience for all of us. Cool. Cool. So, you know, great, you know, great background there. And so what was the the turning point to go from, you know, barber, hairdresser, diving into technology? Was it networking first? You know, what was that that first pivot point? I think the first pivot point for me was um, it was, a, I remember the day quite clearly. It was a Saturday where I worked and I'd been in, in the, the the shop for, from, say, 7.30 in the morning. I lived about an hour, an hour and a half away from where I worked. I used, I used to drive there every morning. And um, I remember sitting outside, and it was a sunny, sunny day, and I was having my uh, my breakfast and my my lunch, which com- was pretty much a can of soda. And um, I remember seeing the owner of the of the of the company um, talking with the manager, and he the manager was showing him this really new, brand new Rolex that he bought. And the owner of the company was stood next to his brand new uh, Bentley GT Continental, and 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 there's me. And I was I was seriously in debt, a lot of money in debt at the time, and um, I just I thought something's wrong with this this kind of pitch fund things. You know, I was working, sort of, I don't know, fifty sixty hour weeks, and I had one of the biggest takes. I was one of the busiest members of staff, um, and I was driving this piece this car, which is like twenty years old. It was. Well, it was illegal, I think is the correct term. And I was driving it like 50, 50 miles there and 50 miles back a day. And, uh, you know, 
I was I was sat there. It was a beautiful day, and I I, I just thought I, I've I've got to take hold of my career. I've got to take hold of my life now. Um, and you know, I was I was wondering what I wanted to do, and then if that isn't enough pressure as well. Um, a, a couple of weeks after that, um, my wife and I found out that she was pregnant as well. Um, so the kind of the pressure is really on me at this stage, and I'd been dabbling with um routers and printers and you know home networking stuff um for a little bit and um i i'd installed you know a wireless router at home we do in where i am i live in a very rural area of england and you know we we kind of i say we just got the internet we've all gone from dial up onto fiber and wireless routers you know were, were appearing in all the shops and everybody wanted a wireless router and a wireless printer and i installed mine at home and then i I was talking to my neighbor one day and he said that he was looking at one and I said, will you buy it? I'll set it up for you. So I did, I did that for him. And then I did the neighbor across the street and then the one up from them and then his uncle and his cousins and, you know, kind of work around these, you know, simple kind of stuff, just the basic routers that you buy at, you know, your local um, electronics store. So, you know, fairly kind of low level. Um, but I had this interest there and my father-in-law, um, was uh, was in IT. He was a program manager, project manager for for British Telecom, and he'd spent um, a good chunk of time in the IT industry, sort of around the Microsoft area. And he said to me, "You know, if you're looking for getting into a career, he said you know you ought to consider IT." And I thought, "Oh, this sounds exciting. You know, really exciting. I mean, I envision sort of like you know hackers and the you know the film uh, War Games, you right. know, retro film. That's how I imagined it to be like, and." Um, he gave me Todd Lamley's um, CCNA book um, and said, you know, well, if you're into, into networking, this is the book for you. And he said, you know, be warned. He said, I, I couldn't complete this. It was really hard. And I kind of saw that as a bit of a challenge um, and then just, yeah, started doing three, four hours of study a day as much as I could with this CCNA book. That's why I pretty much started. Well, it's amazing. Yeah, I had a similar, you know, similar story I've shared in the past too, in terms of you know Todd Lamley's Ibex, you know, mm. study guide being my my entrance. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, good, uh, good similarities there. Mm. So, so you started studying while you were still, you know, yeah. a, a hairdresser, mm-hmm. a couple hours a day, and then you got your CCNA, and from there, was it you know, started applying to jobs as a network engineer? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Really aggressively as well. Um, I would just I'd come in uh, into the into the place I was working in the morning, and we had a computer, you know, which still did all our appointments and our inventory kind of stock and everything. And um, I just applied for every job, you know. Started then, then started bugging recruiters, following up with them, applying for jobs, calling them within the hour of applying, and then. Um, then started looking at um, Cisco Partners. So Cisco publishes on its site all of the partners, you know, from platinum level, gold level, silver level. And you can search on the area. So found out who all the Cisco partners were in the area and just started writing to those directly as well and emailing them, checking on their job sites, finding their HR emails, um, and just networking with different people. You know, had a few sort of people who would refer me as well. Um, but just started getting my name out there and you, you had to, I had to be really, really aggressive because I was in that situation where I had the certification, but no experience. So, yeah. 
Cool. No, that makes sense. And yeah, great, you know, great initiative to go out and find the partners. That's awesome. And so, so eventually you got your first job as a network engineer Yeah. and, and, you know, so then, you know, those years as a network engineer, were you, you know, were you in operations supporting networks, you know, starting to understand, you know, some of the common patterns, repeatable tasks and, and things like that? Exactly. Yeah. So started on a first line, not position, uh, managed service provider, which was a lot of DSL circuits, Ethernet circuits, firewalls, um, configurations. But not only did we do the the sort of troubleshooting side, we also did deployments as well. So customers would, or when we onboarded new customers, we would get the chance to configure the router how the customer wanted it, and then it would, you know, get boxed and shipped up to to the customer site or firewalls or something. And sometimes, you know, the customer might be looking at connecting five, six sites, seven sites. They might have that many locations and then um, remote VPNs as well to do that. So there's kind of a mixture of both um, sort of, you know, daily sort of knock level one and two, working through uh, service desk kind of thing and answering a lot of phone calls while also sort of in the afternoon when it tried it tended to die down in the afternoon so we tended to do the deployments in the afternoon you go to the the stock and you get the, the you know the route to the model that had been ordered you know bring that back to your desk configure it put it back in the box and then it just go out out for shipping and then the support of that when it got to the got to the site so yeah it was, i think it was a really really good place to start because i got that mixture of both operations and also deployment but if it was like more than one or two sites and there were the instances where, you know, we onboarded customers who were um, had, say, you know, 10, 15 locations and they wanted sort of like hub and spoke VPN style. Um, it gave you the idea of running an entire project as well because you were responsible for ordering, you know, every or sort of like all of the, the DSL sort of circuits and the EFM circuits and, and the lease line circuits as well. So you had to work with vendor as well to make sure everything arrived on time and then someone was there to plug it in as well and then there might be a migration strategy as well so it taught me a lot in that first sort of i think i think i was there for about 18 months in that first job okay and so as a network engineer now i guess you know spanning you know from the first 18 months going through you know the next several years what was it in terms of network engineering, you know, were you were you starting to dabble and look into you know things like programming languages and automation, and you know wh- while you were a network engineer, it wasn't on my eye line at the time. Um, I was aggressively chasing down the CCIE, and that was kind of my you know north star. I was pursuing that, and that was my end goal. in In the first job that I was at, I went in with my CCNA, and then after I left with my CCNA, I left with a CCNP. And then also I'd done the CCNA security. So in 18 months, I'd done, I'd done another, it would have been five exams, you know, back in the day when the CCNP was four. Um, and I did that as well, which helped me get my next job. But I wasn't looking at automation at that point still. I was still chasing down being that whiz on the, you know, the CLI and understanding how the, the different protocols worked and, you know, how the different services worked and how security worked across, across routers and switches at that time. Got it. So what was the transition point to even just start looking at development skills you know, from Linux and even maybe Python and, and whatever, whatever came first in your, in your world? I think the first time I saw it was when I went into the second role, I was talking to um, 
one of the guys that was on like our SRE team and he was talking to me, we're talking about um, regular expressions. And I was asking him what he was doing and he started doing a lot of stuff with PowerShell at the time. And this seemed kind of really interesting how he was able to, to do this. Um, and he showed me some, some tips around it, but I couldn't work it then into my day to day. Um, after I left there, I went into a, to work for another service provider. And the whole team there, all of the engineers, were huge Linux users. I was the, the new guy, and I was using Windows, which, you know, <laughs> go down well. Um, so it was then I kind of started to look at I, I was running that uh, um, Linux within a, within a VM to get me started, and I started looking at doing basic sort of Linux things because I saw what they were doing, and I saw – a way of being able to get that low hanging fruit um, get a bunch of information really, really quickly. And then also do, you know, add smooth changes really quickly as well, instead of having to do that, you know, log it into a device after device after device. So that was the kind of the first jumping point, but it, that would have been almost three and a half years into my career before I even considered that. So it was a, it was a kind of, a very, very different, I came from, you know, a very different background. I came in from a very different way to, to what, to what most people have done in my experience. Cool. And yeah, it looks like even when you were a network engineer within an MSP, within an SP, it's great. Uh, it's great domains and great industries to be able to start to understand the, the way you can apply network automation, mm-hmm. right? you know, yeah. given the size and the nature of those types of organizations. And, and hey, for what it's worth, I uh, I admit I, I use Windows on a daily on a daily basis, and but I do spend most of my time in a Linux VM on this machine doing yeah. some development work. So, you know, yeah. for all those out there using Windows, oh um, yeah, not terrible, but just make sure you're using some type of Linux on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it was a big. It wasn't until I didn't move away from I didn't move away from Windows up until probably. I would say uh, six years ago, and that was when I came from a refresh at Cisco. And I was looking at the refresh, and I thought, do I get another Windows machine, or do I, you know, do I kind of turn to the turn to the, uh, the to the Mac? Do I go? Do I do, do I go down that route? And uh, yeah, so went down went <laughs> went down the Apple route instead. Yeah, no, I, I went I went with a, an Apple with a Mac, and and you know, about eight eight to nine years ago for a few months. And I was giving customer presentations a lot. And to be honest, it just was not pretty, mm. you know, learning how to, you know, doing a few different things and being the expert in front of the customer. It wasn't, it wasn't very much great when you're trying to figure out how to use a, how to use a new Mac. So I very quickly reverted back to Windows. But, yeah, uh, steep but in any case, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm ready to go back. But, but great. So, so right now, network engineer for a couple of years, you know, start going down this path of, of development skills. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, so you know, now you're a developer advocate. So yeah. kind of, you know, help, help bridge that gap, meaning from network engineer to developer advocate and, and sort of what made you, what made you even, you know, make that jump mm-hmm. into an advocate role. And I guess maybe talk through, you know, a bit more about what the advocate role is all about. Cool. Yeah. I, so when I, I joined Cisco and I joined Cisco in 2012 and, um, I got involved in some really big deployments at that stage then. 
rebuilding Cisco's global footprint for one of its services, which was around 35 data centers. And we were getting all kinds of things like config drift um, and this um, issue of where we're doing deployments. And as we kind of went around the globe, either replacing the, the data centers that we had, um, or building new ones where we didn't have any have any footprint. What happened was is that um, the original site, the original blueprint, started to not look like everything else that we got out there, and everything became um, sort of mixed up in many ways. Where you know different data centers had different ACLs and and different configurations, and these were some fairly sizable. You know, sites we were occupying sort of twelve racks per data centers, and there was a lot of lot of hardware, a lot of firewalls, a lot of switches, a lot of a lot of routers. Um, then started to look into uh, things like infrastructure of code and tools like Jenkins as well to do to do validation as well, um, and started working with different teams within the team that I was working with, so started working with Q&A teams, started working with SRE teams, learning how they did things, learning how they did deployments, because to me, it seemed like I was working all of the hours, you know, doing this copy sort of manual copy paste stuff, and they were able to do all of their workflows via automation. Um, so started sitting down with those those teams and understanding how they did it. And then start automating workflows within the network automation space in within our data centers for um, deployments because there's no services on there. Uh, it was very very low risk. Um, so started using that as test bed, and then that evolved into actually basically deploying things live in a production environment, um, which is great fun if you get the chance to do that as an engineer. You know, where you get one of those T-shirts that says, you know, I test in production, uh, which is great fun to do. If you've got your automation worked out, you, know, <laughs> so you can deploy quickly and you can roll back quickly. And you've got redundancy there in both the hardware and the software. You know, your risk is going to be very, it's going to be quite low. It's not going to be super low. You're still going to cause outages, which, you know, I've caused outages like everybody else. Um, I was really enjoying that. And I was working as a kind of, um, team lead, tech lead for the team that I was in. Um, and I was doing a lot of architecture as well for that um, business unit that I was in at Cisco. What I found was is as much as I was in, as much as I was enjoying that, I wanted to learn new skills and it's difficult to do everything to do operations, projects, architecture, things like cap cases, you know, which are the most highest severity that we have at Cisco. Um, you know, when a customer has an outage and you're kind of, or, or they have an issue with a service, then you're working on that 24-7. You know, that's how the, the cap goes until it's resolved. Um, and then doing reporting and everything else that comes with that. I was wearing like 20 different hats in my current role. And as learning network automation at the time, I'd kind of gone a bit more deeper into it because what I'd found was is that I was doing things, but I didn't fully understand why I was doing it. I'd learned it in a very, very brute force manner. And that's a very different method to how I'd learned to be a network engineer. As a network engineer, I just read and read and read and watched multiple videos and got hands-on experience. When I started automation, I just went brute force, really, really brute force. So I could I could write Ansible though, to do deployments and I could do Python as well, but I had really no understanding of why I was doing it or what 
what the actual reason for it was or whether this was the correct way, you know, like a best practice way. Um, and so I started looking around at internal courses and I came across Cisco DevNet. And I thought, this is cool. You know, how do I, how do I start using this? And so I, I started going through some of the, the learning labs um, on, on Cisco DevNet using the sandboxes. And then I started using, we had a, like a test environment at the time. We, we built a small test environment. So I started then t- taking what I'd done in the sandboxes over into our test environment and then modifying what I'd learned from the learning labs and on the sandboxes to actually work in my own deployment. So, uh, you know, it might be simple, like something simple like, you know, um, using NetConf or something on like ISXE. Um, and I found this was cool. I thought this was brilliant. Um, and I started watching a lot of the work that Hank was doing, you know, Hank Preston. And I thought, sure. wow, wow, you know, this this is awesome. This is what I want to do. This is really, really what I want to do. Um, and so I was at a, um, it was a, um, it was a Saturday. It was at a, a children's party. And it was at one of these like giant warehouses. And there's like, I don't know, 200 kids going crazy, you know, on, on slides and all kinds of stuff. Um, and it was at that point I, I, I joined, joined Twitter and I wasn't a huge social media sort of fan anyway. I'd not really been in in the sort of Facebook crowd or anything like that. Well, I had an account, but I never really used it. Um, and then, so I joined it and I started following Hank and I, I started following Sylvia Spiver and I started following Mandy Whaley from, from DevNet. And I started talking to Sylvia in my, you know, when I was at work and I, cause I asked, asked you a question and she said, Oh, you know, you ought to, you ought to start um, doing some more stuff for DevNet. Cause I was tweeting some stuff from DevNet and I was really liking what everybody was doing. And I thought this just seems to me like the next step for me in my career to become an advocate because I've enjoyed the whole transition from network engineer into doing automation maybe I can share my experiences that I've had and the pain that I've had or, you know, the problems that I had and the, how I adapted to this. And I could tell that as my story and it would help others, you know, transition like I did. So that was the reason for just, you know, jumping over into advocacy as well. Um, you know, my great love of talking to people as well. I enjoy talking to people. I think that stems from back from the days of just cutting hair, you know, talking to people, talking to people all day, you know, um, and, and then listening as well to, to what people were saying. And, um, yeah, like, you know, when I was talking about the cap cases and things, and I didn't get to talk to customers much in my old job, but when I did, I actually really, really enjoyed it. I actually did enjoy talking to them. You know, people would get nervous about going to a, you know, a customer cap call. And this is, for me, this is just, you know, Let's go into the call. Let's be honest and let's work through the issues. So, to me, it kind of, to me, it gave me the best of everything as well. The the chance to learn new things and the chance to work with community and partners and create content. It just to me, it just checked every box. Yeah, no, it sounds. It's nice too that you actually still leveraged external mediums along the way. Mm. Meaning, even though you're within Cisco already, still engaging with the DevNet team publicly, you know, using the external resources. Yeah, you know, uh, talking to folks, you know, like yeah. Mandy, Hank, and Sylvia through Twitter. You know, all that is great for you know for again anyone who's who's looking to take that progression in their career. Mm-hmm. Is just you know yeah. if you engage, if you engage, it also you know it, it clearly 
you know, yeah. it shows initiative and, and shows mm. that, you know, shows the growth over, over time as well. It does. Yeah. And Sylvia said to me one time, she pinged me, it was on a, it would have been on a Monday evening and she said, Hey, um, just to let you know, Susie mentioned you on her meeting this week because you've been, you know, an advocate for us on Twitter. And she was like, does anybody, does anybody know who this is? This, this person on Twitter, big evil bids, anybody know who he is? <laughs> so like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, cool. So, so, so the role of an advocate is, is mm. still it's still probably considered new in the grand scheme of of the IT industry, right? Over the past over the past couple of decades. Now, you know, you mentioned a few different things with engaging mm. with partners and customers and and socially. So, I guess you know, right now, how do you, you know, what is a common a common day like? You know, is it is it some code, presentations, customers, community? You know, is there is there is varied by the day? You know, what does it look like for you? It does vary by the day. Um, I'm quite fortunate being on the time zone that I'm on. Um, I kind of my mornings are kind of a little bit more quieter, so I tend in the morning to to follow with anything that's happened overnight, you know, from, from West coast or pick up on it on any issues, which happened early hours in the morning, this might come from internally or community. So I go over Cisco learning network. I go through the DevNet support, um, uh, teams rooms that we have first thing in the morning. They're, they're, they're the first things. Um, I reply to anything that's urgent, you know, straight away, whether that's projects I'm working on or latest status, those kind of things. Um, I then start anything that I've always, there's always a presentation coming. There's always an event as well. So that might be an internal or an external. So right now I'm gearing for DevNet Create, which is October. Um, and then I've got external events coming up. So, you know, presentations at you know, developer conferences. So there's always a presentation to be working on. And that's building, building the slides, building the story, you know, building the code, putting all of that together, making it a compelling use case. It's going to be interesting to people. Um, the afternoon, as kind of East Coast EDT comes online, I start picking up with the team there. And then we've got other folks who are in um, sort of like sort of Central America, so, so uh, you know, Texas, and we've got uh, folks up in um some of the northern states and then uh, you know three four o'clock um pdt comes online so i start working with them so the meetings kind of generally start around three o'clock and then go on till about seven um and those meetings are just various different meetings you know from projects that were on um programs that we're working on at the time um if i'm doing customers customer calls they're generally later for me so six seven o'clock or something like that so i might be working with a solutions architect or account manager and they want we're having like a direct engagement with the customer and that's really talking about things like best practice where to get started with cisco devnet um cisco certifications obviously huge right now so talking to them about certification paths resources for those you know that kind of stuff they, they does follow a similar sort of path. I mean, that's the typical one when I'm at home. I mean, it goes completely out the window when I'm traveling or, you know, we're going to events. Those, those days are just crazy there, you know, starts off six in the morning and finish at 11, 12 o'clock at night yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Cisco DevNet, you know, continues to have a lot of growth and a lot of, a lot of new, I would say, tools, utilities, places mm. to write code, submit code. And I guess you mentioned, you know, talking to partners and customers about, 
about the like the right path to start mm-hmm. to start. We'll say consuming DevNet or leveraging yeah. DevNet. What 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 is just curious? What, what is that in terms? Of, I know there's you know sandboxes and and things like that. So what what would be a, a solid path to you know to recommend to newer folks that are starting to to dive in? Yeah. So it, first of all, I try. I always establish what people are interested in, and then try to make build that around what they're you know what what sort of thing they're interested in, whether that's uh, you know, building configurations, infrastructure as code, uh, or something like telemetry, and which platforms this is going to be working on, and then finding those examples, and then providing those examples, and we can provide those through um, the learning labs, and then we've got code exchange and automation exchange as well. So pulling up examples on there. So, for example, I was talking with a customer recently, and they were they were interested in um, doing some deployments using network automation. And so I, I brought up some uh, some examples, you know, through code exchange, through automation exchange, just to actually, you know, show the um, the proof of concept or how how I decided to do it or however that person who'd submitted that piece of code had decided to do it, looking at, um, say, a, a best practice way um, and taking a use case as well. If I can tie it to a specific use case, like, for example, um, a call I was on recently was about ACLs, talking about how to automate ACLs and deployments on on, on the XE platform. Finding some code which you know shows a good example of that and how it's done, um, and then working around some of the quirks that come around that as well, um, and, and challenges say the customers having. Um, you know, they might have done it and say, oh, you know, when you were doing it, did you experience this? How did you how did you get around this? How did you build this out? Um, and kind of cases like that. So it's just kind of pulling as many resources in as possible and showing sort of really strong examples and use cases. It kind of really helps build that story and gives that, for me, it gives a huge more amount of trust in there as well when you're talking with customers. Sure. And just, and just curious, if, I don't know if there's this data exists, but within, you know, if it's code exchange, automation exchange, I would say almost independent of use case you know is there like the number one number two you know top three repositories that have been contributed just to say you know the, you know these you know these i don't know several pages or repos are getting the most amount of clicks or usage or whatever metrics you know, cisco mm-hmm. tracks any uh any visibility into that yeah we do get a lot of visibility on that um we do a lot of tracking a lot of metrics as well um and it's one of those things you know being an advocate as well is actually how do you you know how what do you track the things that you you track because it can be tough to put you know metrics on what we do and they, they are kind of a fuzzy type of metric as well um so we do our best to do a lot of tracking on that and we can pull tracking out of all of our all of our platforms so the things right now which are getting the biggest hits are SD-WAN, with SD-WAN being super popular. Um, I started to bolster the SD-WAN um, code on both Code Exchange and Automation Exchange recently as well, just to get the use cases up there as well. I think when we started, we had two or three. I think now on Code Exchange, we're going over 20, and Automation Exchange is, is um, around sort of 10 use cases as well. Um, so they're really big on the hits. The always the main popular ones are always going to be things like NetMeco and Napalm, you know, for doing stuff across uh, multi-vendor and also, you know, different Cisco platforms as well. 
they're still really, really popular. Still a lot of people using those um, Python libraries to do their network automation. You know, they're solid, they're really reliable. Um, uh, so they're, they're really, really popular as well. That, that, that po the popularity of those doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to die away, you know? So as long as you, as long as you're presenting something that has value, then it's going to be of great interest. Yeah, no, that's great. You mentioned the, you know, those projects like NetMiko and Napalm yeah. and, and Nornir for one, you yeah. know, they're not from Cisco and it's still yeah. great to see, you know, DevNet in general, still being, a, being able to, to, uh, you know, promote and walk through tutorials and you've done a bunch of them yeah. as well. So it's you know, you yeah. know, good to see the, the vendor neutral libraries um, yeah. on DevNet as well. Yeah. I was, I'm a huge fan of, 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 of Napalm and NetMiko and Nornir, like you say, I'm huge huge fan of those using those as well um and then you can obviously blend them in with other ones as well like pi ats we get to work with the pi ats guys as well at cisco which you know doing a combination and mixing those up and adding those all into the fold as well just for the power as well you know customer might be saying oh you know we're we're, we're trying to do this as well it's like okay then import this python library and let's see how we go. You know, we can, we can see if we can work this into this as well to do, you know, to help with the automation, you know, it's like a, um, one tool is never going to solve any, everything. So, you know, bringing in the, like you said, the likes of Napalm and Nuni and Pi ATS and putting them all together as well, bringing these different tools in to solve, to solve the solution. You can leverage such, such great tools now. Um, you know, the, 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 the amount of tools available now since I started doing this now is just grown and grown and grown, which is, is fantastic. Cool. If on that note, I'm going to shift gears, you know, just Ooh. a little bit and, you know, kind of, you know, last topic to cover, you know, over the past six months, it's been great to see, I guess it was Cisco live, you know, just over, I guess it was almost 2019 when the Ooh. Cisco DevNet certs were, were announced and, you know, that kind of got a lot of buzz and, you know, they were, then they came out this year, which is, which is awesome. You know, I've yeah. taken, I've taken uh, the associate folks on my team have, I think, you know, taken associate and professional over, yeah. over a dozen people. And, and so I guess from where you sit, you know, at Cisco as an advocate, you know, what do you, uh, you know, what have you seen in the past six months with the overall, you know, the ramp and the uptick of the DevNet certs? Great question. Yeah. So I think we went into, we started working on the certifications as far back as beginning of 2019. And then they start people, they started rumblings and things. I think everybody was really curious. People were asking a lot in 2018 about it, saying, do you think DevNet will ever do certification? Um, and then 2019, um, people started asking, coming to me directly through DMs and all kinds of things, saying, hey, I hear DevNet's working on certifications. Is this true? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, but the actual truth was, I mean, we were, we were actively working on them back then. And we got to work with all the folks at Learning at Cisco. And for someone like me that was a, still I'm a huge sort of like, a, you know, exam, exam junkie, you know, Cisco exams. It was like that part of the Wizard of Oz, you know, where they kind of take back the curtain, you know, in the Wizard of Oz, they say, and you get to see behind how, how all of this comes about. And working with them on things like the minimum uh, qualified candidate MQC, um, working through all the domains and working through all the topics and getting to suggest on those. And this is based on my experience what the community is doing, the folks in the community deciding how, how difficult something should be, you know, all of those things. Uh, we went into 
to writing all of the questions um, and reviewing questions as well. And the process was the process was huge. A lot of a lot of hours, a lot of effort goes into the exams, um, and it was amazing to see how all of that kind of comes together. And then when we released them, that was just phenomenal. And then, as you know, when we people were able to take them as February this year. Um, we had the, the DevNet, DevNet 500 and I mean, my, my, I was, I just dedicated that entire day to being on, on the social channels. Um, and my Twitter was just going absolutely crazy. I went out for a spot of lunch, came back and I'd like got 200 notifications, you know, of people, of people, um, tweeting about DevNet 500 and, and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, people say, where can I get resources from? And we've done a whole bunch of linking current content to help people ready for the exams. And, but yeah, all of us, all of our internal, well, our, our support, you know, the teams rooms that we have for DevNet and the communities and, and all of the socials just went absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy. Uh, it was just, it was, it was insane. That 24 hours was just amazing. And watching that, that first day, watching the sort of almost the test centers open geographically as the wheel kind of turned and people woke up, people being at the test centers. And I got messages from people saying, hey, I'm on the train now. And it's sort of like, yeah, it's six o'clock in your morning. And they're like, yeah, the test center's four hours away. <laughs> you know, that's just huge, huge dedication. And then it kind of those people went quiet and then all of a sudden they came out and they're like, great tweeting. I've passed, I've passed. And it was just, it was amazing to see the, you know, that, that whole thing. And just to be, to be a part of that was just, was just amazing. I think it was just such a great opportunity. Yeah. Now we have many folks taking exams yeah. from home, which, yeah. you know, saving on commute time during, again, during, uh, you know, COVID-19, mm. but you know, so I, I guess as, as you were being asked, I guess it sounds like two to three years ago is, is DevNet going to do this or exams coming? Mm. So I guess what's the stance right now is, is the expert coming? What, what is the, the response for going beyond the DevNet associate professional? Are we, you know, if we look forward in the next, you know, one, two, three plus years, are we going to, are we going to hear about an expert? It's definitely on the cards and the community really want to do it. Um, We've had a few people say, you know, should I do, you know, which path should I take? Should I do the classic sort of, you know, NA, NP, and then expert, or do I do I jump into that? Everybody wants it. It's it is, you know, we have we have penciled it for something that we are going to do. Um, as far as release time yet, that's still under huge wraps for when you know when when we will when we will announce it to come out. But it is, I can definitely say that it's on the cards. Um, you know what that's going to look like, or anything like that. Um, it's just a, for me. It's, it's not something I'm involved in at this stage. Um, but yeah, it's going to happen. It's just a case of when. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm sure it'll be a lot different than than exams, eight hour exams, or two one day, two day exams in the past with a full rack of gear yeah. next to you. Yeah. But you know, I guess this is going to be you know way more virtual and you know way more about automation skills and, and development. But yeah, no, that's cool. I look forward to mm. to hearing about it and and maybe even attempting it one day if it ever yeah. uh, you know ever ever comes out. Yeah, I think that's going to be that's going to be the th that's going to be the thing for me. You know, people are going to say, "Hey, you're going to go for it." <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should be able to walk through this year you'll just be able to go in and pass it'll be a walk in the park for you you know it's like you won't even break a sweat and i'm like 
we shall see who uh who breezes through it yeah i think that'd uh, be really interesting to see who the first person is that passes that because i think you know that's you know they they will be the the top gun at that stage the first person that passes that yeah there's no there's no uh no doubt about it but cool so as you wrap things up just um you know in your words what is if there's one last piece of advice you can give somebody you know who's just getting started with network automation or within devnet outside of devnet you know what sort of uh, advice would you would you give them i think you know when you're starting out um with the with the network information network automation side is is, is take it one day at a time, take it slow, you know, don't don't try to conquer everything and just in, in, in one go. I think as a network engineer, it can be a little bit frustrating because you're used to doing things at such a rapid pace and then doing things in Python can just seem to take an, you know, say take an age, you know, even if you're just getting, you know, that show interface brief or something from your devices through through code, which everybody generally tends to start with. Um, that's the that's the kind of the first bit, but I think it's just patience. Dedicate time to it, say an hour a day, two hours a day if you can. Um, kind of get a study plan, something, a guide. Build your community as well so you've got people to, to bounce ideas off as well, you know, being able to talk with people. Um, it's why one of the reasons we did the DevNet study group as well, so people could, you know, talk to other people and bounce ideas off. And if they got stuck, that, that really does help being able to do that because sometimes you can kind of feel a little bit alone. Like, you know, this is, you know, you're looking at Mount Everest, um, doing something. Um, so yeah, work with different communities, read a lot, um, experiment. Don't be afraid to try something, you know, please don't do that in your production, by the way. Um, you know, you don't want to be that person who, you know, you know, sorry, boss, I've just brought the entire network down. But, you know, the good news is I did it with automation. You know, you don't, <laughs> don't, want, to be, don't, want, don't want to be that person. Um, as soon as he speaks from experience. Um, yeah, study, get a good study plan. Get your resources in order and, and then dedicate an hour. And then, you know, within a year, you'll be a network automation monster. You know, you really, really will. It, it, um, it starts once you get in that flow. And you start doing it. it. It it soon gathers pace, and then you look back and it's sort of like, wow, look what I can do now, you know. So, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I agree. You know, I think I think it's it's hard for a lot of you know a lot of career network engineers to not be the expert anymore. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's no there's no secret. You know, it's time, consistency, mm-hmm. yeah. having that plan together. Yeah. You know, start picking out use cases. And we say it all the time, even if you learn a tool and don't use it in production, it's still going to help, yes. you know, yeah. build those foundational, foundational yeah. skills. Yeah. Look where you want to be in five years. And I read something really interesting the other day about, you know, careers and things. And people said, and this a bit of advice is, you know, don't apply for a job that you can do. Apply for a job that you're going to want to do, you know, so you should feel you know, when you're going to that job, there should be skills that you're going to be learning, you know. So even if you go in with the basic level, it should be skills that you're going to learn that you're going to carry you into that into that future, you know, into the next five years, possibly even, you know, a bit further in your career. Look for that in your job. Look for that into, into, into your skills. Well said. Words of wisdom by Stuart yeah. Clark. 
All right, that about does it for this show. Stuart, once again, uh, thank you so much. It was great to hear about the journey from from barber to advocate and technical expert in the network automation space. Totally, uh, totally love it. So again, uh, once again, thank you, Stuart. Thank you, buddy. It's been a huge pleasure.